G'day everyone and welcome back to For the Love of Brick, a fortnightly podcast where I interview people from all over the world about their love of Lego. Today, I'm chatting with Megan Lum and Alice Finch about the Women's Brick Initiative. The Women's Brick Initiative started when Alice and a fellow Affle noticed there weren't many women at conventions and they wanted to do something about it. This interview for me was a massive eye-opener and a lot of fun, and I learnt so much. And I hope you do too. And if you do enjoy today's episode or any of our episodes, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Now sit back and enjoy today's episode of For the Love of Brick. Welcome, Megan and Alice. Uh, now, you're both founders of the Women's Brick Initiative. Would, could you tell me a little bit more about what the Women's Brick Initiative is? Well, maybe I'll start at the beginning. <laughs> yes. Um, the very, very about? beginning. <laughs> it came about because I was attending a convention with a fellow AFOL, and she actually lives in the same city I do in Seattle, and yet we flew... 6,000 miles away to go to Scarabeck. And it was while we were there, we just looked around and we said, there really aren't that many women here. And there aren't that many women anywhere we go to conventions. I think it's time that we did something about this. Yep. And we started thinking, well, we're not quite sure what we're going to do. What is the biggest need for our group? But we know that we need to do something. So we started the Women's Brick Initiative. It was me, Shelley Corbett, and eventually Jacqueline Sanchez from Portland. Um, and then we added Jyoti, uh, for also from Seattle, and then Megan in um, the Bay Area, because we realized we wanted to listen to all of the voices of women in the hobby, uh, not just builders. We wanted photographers. We wanted crafters. We wanted um, set builders and any, so we wanted the full spectrum. Yeah. And then we started talking to people about what is the greatest need within women in the community? What, what do we need to do? And that helped us figure out what sort of our, our goals are. And now we yep. have three things that we want to do. One is inspire. And that means sharing models making sure that women are heard and seen within the community. Yep. Inspire is the big one. Then we have support. And that means um, holding workshops, uh, finding ways that we can encourage women who are maybe already in the hobby, but need more structure on how to take photographs or a whole myriad of things. And then there's the empower part, which is looking at, um, a bias or sort of bigger umbrella ideas of how do we how do we do more in the community um, to be seen and heard and um, we're trying to do things in each of those areas um, yeah. uh, sort of around the world we now have membership uh, worldwide oh, okay so, so it has gone global which is it good. has gone global yeah where where do you find is your sort of like, because obviously America is your main, but like, where have you been surprised that you're getting members from? Well, let me tell you a little story about 2019. I think yep. I did, I did workshops in five different countries last year. Yep. And um, one of them was in Hong Kong. 
and I worked with the ambassadors in Hong Kong. Um, and we were going to do uh, workshops and trying to figure out what kind of workshops. And we did some for kids and some for AFOLs. And we decided that we really wanted to do one just for women. Yep. And the ambassador said, well, we don't actually know how many women AFOLs there are in Hong Kong. If you got five, that would be awesome. Like we would be thrilled for five people, five yep. women to show up because we don't really know if there are more than that. And the workshops were free and it was, but you still had to register so that we knew who you were. And because um, there was a, a size limit, I believe of 30. Um, there were four different workshops. Which one do you think filled up first? Not sure. <laughs> the, the one women's? for women. <laughs> the one for women filled up. I think it was 24 hours. It was full. Oh, wow. And the, it was, it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it because we didn't know what to expect. And yet when there was an opportunity provided for women AFOLs, yep. they were thrilled. They were completely overwhelmed. They didn't know who each other were. Oh, wow. They really? They didn't know that other women existed because it hadn't, there hadn't been an, uh, a forum in which they could comfortably show up and say, hey, I love Lego. Yeah. And so we sort of accidentally on purpose provided a place for them to come and they came out of the woodwork. And now there's all of these women who now know that there are lugs and things that they can do within the AFL community. Yeah. So it's things like that where we didn't know well, five would be great. And instead we got 30 completely overjoyed, overwhelmed women who came in and just, it, it was sort of life-changing in terms of Lego yeah. and hobby. So they hadn't been to like exhibitions, like as in exhi exhibiting or anything, but now they are. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And because it's one of those things, like I can imagine it's hard even being a, a adult doing Lego because the amount of times you get people saying it's a child's toy. It's like, it's not a <laughs> It's a different form of media. But then again, to be, you know, has been aimed at, you know, boys for a long time and to actually be a female getting into it, like, because I've had a few female guests on that still to be released, um, <laughs> that, yeah, it's that's the problem they've found is, you know, it wasn't really aimed at them. So what, what do you find the biggest, like, the biggest barrier is for girls getting into to Lego? I think for a lot, in a lot of cases, for girls getting into Lego, it's two, well, th these days I think it's twofold. One is that a lot of the Lego isn't classically marketed to girls. And if they go, even if they like Lego, there's a lot of peer pressure of, oh, that's not really a girl's toy. Yep. And then I found um, the other is kind of a bit of a backlash. Uh, as you know, um, the Friends theme is targeted specifically to girls. Yep. But I do know of girls who will not build with Lego and will not build with friends be with the friend sets because because that they don't want to deal with do deal with the girly stuff. Yeah. And so and neither will the parents. The parents will not buy the friend sets because they believe it's it's too gender based. Oh okay. Yep. Yeah it's a yeah it's a fine line, isn't it? Um it is. It's uh, and we were just talking to a group of 
women builders from the Philippines a couple of weeks ago, Alice and I, and there was at least one of the women on there who shared that she didn't really get into Lego until she was in her teens. Oh, okay. Um, and, and ideally it'd be nice to really reach more of those girls at, after they get through the, the, the preteen phase. Yeah. See, I, I, I like the friend sets. The only thing I don't like is the minifigures. Yeah. Keep them all the same. I love the friend sets. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think their packaging does them a disservice a lot of times because the packaging is very pink and purple. But yep. if you look at a lot of the sets inside, they're not. And they have some great designs. Oh, yeah. And some awesome pieces as well. <laughs> it, it's funny mm. how um, if you spend more than about five minutes with Lego, usually you can get around whatever the hitch is for the friend sets. But if you look at it just on the surface, it, it looks more problematic than it than it really is, right? All of the colors that it provides, sort of the different play themes, but really it, it just has this sort of lingering awkwardness that makes it makes it um, difficult, right? It's not just like buying a city set. There's no glitch. There's yeah. no sort of should I or shouldn't I, but with a friend set, there's a, eh, there's that iffiness that makes it difficult. Yep. Um, what do, what do you think of the dots? Like, <laughs> I think it's I, I re- fabulous to promote or, or to have a bazillion colors of those shapes. That is yes. the best thing yes. of all the tiles. Um, so for example, I had to make oh, a, an expansion on mine cause it doesn't fit my wrist, yeah. but I, I think it's a it's a return to using Lego as jewelry, right? Uh, yep. What did they call it? Clickets was the old stuff. I think so. Used? It was. I remember the fan community was dreading having dots come out because yeah. they thought it was going to be the second generation of clickets, and then when it came out and turned out to be a lot more attractive and a yep. lot more functional, and actually there were bracelets in black and some other colors that weren't all pink. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. There were it, it's piqued a lot more interest in the A falls that I know. Yeah, it'd be good if they made yeah. the bands a little bit bigger. <laughs> like, how hard would it have been just to put one more hole on the end of the yeah. strap? But yeah, although a no. pro tip, if you connect two of those bracelets together, they make a really nice dog collar. <laughs> oh, okay. Mental note: my my little pooch will love that. <laughs> Mine were thrilled. <laughs> I don't know if you can see her look on her face. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, because my wife, um, she doesn't really build Lego, but she has mm-hmm. seen the the dots, like the picture frames and that. She's like, oh, that's that's cool. I'll have a crack at that. Um, but yeah, she's like, I'll leave you to your Lego. <laughs> like, okay. Um have you found any resistance from like the AFL community uh, for the women's brick initiative? I hope the answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it resistance, but uh, one of the things I, one of the ways I contribute to the Lego community as a whole, is I write about Lego sets, not Lego in general. And I'm, I'm a contributor to brick set. Yep. And so earlier this year, I published an article introducing WBI, um, sort of the history of it, how I got involved, 
and yep. basically what the purpose is and what the activities were for this year. And there were over 150 comments, and I wish I could say all of them were supportive, but sadly enough, many of them weren't. Um, a lot of them were on the along the lines of, well, I'm just here about Lego. I don't know why you have to bring in your feminist agenda into into this. And I don't understand why women have to have a group on their own. It's exclusionary. And a lot of comments along those lines. Wow. Uh, it, it's that there are some folks who just really, for lack of a better way of putting it, just, just don't get it. Yeah. Um, because we decide we want to do something to promote more women into the hobby does not, not mean we're trying to take away from anybody else. Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting everyone involved. <laughs> right. It, it also seems to be a regionally dependent um, attitude. There are some places in the world where women are fairly well integrated. It's just a more supportive environment. It doesn't um, require... Um, a significant amount of courage to be the first to show up, right? There are women in it. And so it, it gathers its own momentum and gaining more presence yeah. of women. And there are some parts of the world where it's really a struggle because it's um, enough of a, a boys club that it's a really pretty hostile environment. Yeah. And so part of what we hope to do is to find ways to um, reduce that hostility so that women who want to enter the hobby can. And um, for example, I spoke to an ambassador and I just asked him, I said, what would you think about trying to do something with your lug about um, uh, just talking about the Women's Brickative Initiative? And he said, I am wholly in support of it. But if I started to talk about this in my lug, it would be completely shut down because they're so used to being um, misogynistic, that uh. it's ingrained in the club as being acceptable, and it would trade, you know, it would take an a, a, an unusual amount of effort to try and shift that attitude to being more accepting. And he said, "If you want to do it, sure, let's do it." But it's 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 the way the club has developed over the years, and you know, it's it's it would take a an extraordinary effort to try and shift that. So it depends on where you are in the world and how yeah. culturally acceptable and supportive and how much equity there is in society in general in terms of sort of how much additional support people need in order to be a part of this. Yeah. Did you change it? Did you change the... <laughs> I have not yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. <laughs> yeah, that's the operative word, yet. Yet. Yeah. But I think it's partly we have to gain experience on yep. how to approach that difficult of a situation. We're yeah. working on um, working on things where we can change little things for progress, and then then we can take the deep dive. Sort of the yep. eventual goal is to not need to have to exist. Yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah, that, like there shouldn't be a need for this, but that's great. There is. Uh, well, not it's great. There is a need. You know what I mean. <laughs> understand yes because <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what i was going to say um would be pretty hard um to be a female coming into a pretty much all male lug um because mm-hmm. you know i have trouble with strangers at the best of times and to be you know 
a female, like, have were you guys sort of the first females in your lugs? Or, like, did you have to sort of walk into a dude's den? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, that, that's happened pretty much every every lug that I've walked into. And there, there are some, well, some lugs, as Alice was talking about earlier, that are definitely more welcoming than others. Yeah. Uh, there are some lugs that I, I've gone into and just went to for the first meeting. I was new to the area and I was really looked at as an outsider and really felt so unwelcome after that first meeting that I really didn't participate in in-person meetings after that. Um, on the flip side, I've walked into a first lug meeting and been welcomed with open arms, been you know, introduced to everybody. Um, yep both not, really made me feel included and so it was night and day and it's really really surprising that that happens like just just within the same hobby yeah um but as i've gone to different conventions and talked to women builders uh the experience that i had at the first um first lug is not unique and a lot of women get that and a lot of women as you say are, are shy around people anyway if you're introverted it's a hard thing to go into yeah. a meeting with people that you don't know and if you're not used to being the only woman in the room that's also another uh can be another barrier and then if you're if you're not welcomed then there's kind of that's like three strikes right there yeah so it's and not uh not not surprising that that women get discouraged and uh, as i said i've met many women who who at, at various cons um who have had similar experiences and unfortunately i know alice has too yes <laughs> yes um and like many areas of life where women are in male-dominated fields they there there is a tendency to sometimes not be supportive of other women because they feel like they're having to scramble to the top yeah. and it's, you know, pushing aside everything in order to make your place. And so, um, in my experience, there were other women in the lug, but they were not necessarily supportive or interested in, um, uh, being part of a, a community of women builders. It was more like, we've been here longer than you, so you don't matter. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Which is a pretty incredible thing to say out loud, but it has been said out loud. Um, we're here oh. first, so we matter more than you do as a new builder. And that was actually part of what inspired us to really do the opposite of that in our workshops to create a space for new people, for experienced people to come in. Because as it turns out, even if you go to a convention and there are other women there, you it's real still really hard to form a connection with them right yep. you're yep. at your table they're at their table halfway across the room and so just sitting down and doing an activity with six other women for an hour you actually get to talk to them and know who they are and know their names and what they like to build and they have two kids and they live in this city and they right that's the kind of stuff that actually pulls you together as I like to say there's more than bricks that in a clutch holds more than bricks together yeah. right that's actually the clutch that holds women together is yeah. sitting down talking to them actually getting to know each other and then when you go to your lug meeting oh hey I know you because I sat down and talked to you 
Yeah. And I have this connection now. So we're working on ways that not only can you see other women who are building, but start forming relationships with them so that you can feel like you have friends, you have connections, you have your own support group in your network area. Yeah. And it's, it's Go ahead. I was going to say it's starting. It's starting to make a difference because in the places where we've done workshops, uh, for example, at Bricks Cascade in Portland, Oregon, um, we started a couple years ago with workshops, and now there's a really tremendously impressive presence of women in that area. Who, oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's grown tremendously, and it's partly because I'd like to think that we said, "Hey, the five or ten or fifteen of us in the beginning, let's." get to know each other. And then you have this sort of critical mass. It's like um, a tumbleweed. Once it starts to get going, it starts pulling in other people and you get a comfort level and you start bringing other people in. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're hoping for is providing a little bit of glue to hold people together. And then it, it starts to have its own momentum. Megan, Sweet. what were you going to say? Yeah, just to add on to that, one of the things that we do, actually that I do at work when I work with with women is develop our own women's networks. And as Alice talked about, unfortunately in the workplace as well, you also see a situation if you're in a male dominated field that women tend to try to tear each other down. And so we're trying to form that network that as opposed to doing that, let's lift each other up. Yep. And so that's really a core value for WBI is let's find all the women builders up there and let's encourage each other and lift each other up if we can get the spotlight on more women builders on some of the fabulous work that they're doing. That's what we want to do. Not just find a place for one or two. Let's find a place for as many as we can and support each other. Sweet. And um, when you say um, showcase their designs and everything like that, is it a particular format you're doing that on? Like, do you do it on like Twitter or so forth? Or is it your plan on actually doing exhibitions with them? I'd say it's a, a number of different avenues. We have Instagram, we have a Twitter, but we haven't really started using it yet. Uh, we have our private Facebook group where our members uh, share their mocks with each other. It's yep. a, a smaller supportive group, but it's for some people, I think the first time that they're displaying their mocks to somebody outside of their, um, outside of their house. Um, we're also um, looking at um, promoting women to be, we, we've nominated women to be featured in the Masterpiece Gallery at Lego House. Oh, okay, sweet. Um, yeah, and we've actually, and we've been successful uh, in that in that effort. So there's a, a number of different avenues that we're exploring to promote that. We're looking at a partnership with Brick Journal to feature women builders. Yep. So we're um, open to, to any and all. Plus we've had most notably, it was at Brooks Cascade, a collaborative build where we encouraged members to build the original Lego duck. We provided some instructions and uh, we had what, a couple of dozen uh, yeah. built yeah. ducks there. Yeah. That was the WBI collaborative build. I think I saw that on your webpage. We had people who built them in uh, various places across the US and even mailed it to locals in portland so that it could be at the event so oh wow that's a did they did they come assembled yes <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. we were actually I'm, looking at taking that on the road to different cons throughout the country and to scare back this year um but because of the pandemic obviously 
several cons yep. have been canceled. So maybe maybe next year. Have you been missing uh, displaying? <laughs> yes, I I think so. Um, although I have to say I haven't done much building myself in the last year or so. I have some um, medical issues that makes it really difficult for me to build. But yep. I think it's uh, it's part. There's more to a con than just building, right? It's the people you're around. It's seeing friends that you see once a year or twice a year, or yeah, um, and just being inspired by the massive amounts of creativity in one room um and and part of that is also sort of collecting the energy of what we need to do as a group um i think when we go to a a convention we come away thinking oh we could do this and this and this and this and then we have to get to the work of actually making that happen yep admin (laughs) yes (laughs) i love admin (laughs) And I've just heard uh, you've started the intern program. Um, so how, how does that work? Like, can you tell oh, me a little so bit about that? We're so super excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fabulous. <laughs> so I happened to have given a presentation at Smith College, which is a women's college back east, and found out about a program where they have funding for interns. So I could have an intern come and work with me and they would be uh, given funding by the college itself. And so I've had interns from Smith for a couple years now over the summer, and this year we thought, okay, we have a WBI project that we would like to work on. And so I set up the internship and we had so many applicants, we could hardly manage them all, but we, we were thrilled with the response and we have five interns working with us this summer. Um, on, yeah, I wish. <laughs> oh gosh, that would keep them busy all summer. Um, so. But really, we've had this this idea, especially around bias, looking at the bias in the community and where it is, what it looks like, how bad is it, how good is it, how much room for improvement is there. And um, they've only been working for a couple weeks now, but it is so thrilling to see. Um, we're doing a lot of looking at the data. We're we're dealing mostly with the, the minifig heads and the minifigs like CMFs, <coughs> excuse me, looking at how women are represented in the Lego ecosystem. And um, it's absolutely fascinating to see once we're starting to look at the data, what it actually shows. Um, so for one example, a little microcosm is um, we're looking at how uh, what faces are shown how many are happy sad angry oh okay uh within the minifigs and um then we're doing things like how many of those are in yellow or in light nougat or medium nougat or reddish brown there's only 10 reddish brown female heads oh really and five of them are angry Oh. oh wow so it's things like that that have a pretty interesting point. So one of those heads is new this year. So it used to be nine heads. Now we have 10, you know, sort of worthy of celebration until you say, and I, I believe it's five of those faces are angry. Oh, and wow. basically none of the heads are available on Bricklink. So even though you have relatively 
accessible figures like Okoye or Nakia from the Black Panther sets, yeah. there's pretty much zero availability of the heads. Uh. And then there's some heads that are sort of not available at all, like um, Maria Rambeau from Captain Marvel set that was part of the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive set. So the set has zero availability. And literally, yep. there are zero heads. And the minifig, I think the minifig was $75. So what? the availability of female reddish-brown heads is pretty much zero. So oh, wow. that's the kind of thing that we're looking at is what what does the data show about how women are uh, represented, represented within sort of, yeah, and in specific Lego products, but also um, we're taking a look at other things like blogs and websites. How do they represent women? And we have two very recent examples of that not being very good. Um, Megan, do you want to talk about one and I'll talk about the other? okay sure but actually before i talk about that i was going to talk about another project which i think is is interesting um and similar to looking at the minifig heads for women is that we've taken a look or actually the interns have taken a look at all of the collectible minifigure series yep over the course of time and what was notable for us this year is that the series that's just been released um actually has 50% 50% female minifigs. And that's the first time in the CMF series that that, that has happened. Oh, wow. Um, it took 10 it, years. Yeah. And it's, this is the 10, 10th year of the CMF series. So the interns have taken a look at how that has changed over time. I think CMF series one, I think there were two female minifigs and, and now we're yep. up to gender parity. Gender- uh, but we're also taking, taking a look at um, what types of professions those female minifigs are, are doing, how many accessories they have, what type of accessories they have, just yep. to show how uh, female characters have been represented by Lego over the course of time within CMF. And ultimately, we'll take a look at that um, across other sets as well, which I'm, I'm personally fascinated to see how that's going to be portrayed. So with that data, um, do you then send that off to Lego and go, Yes. Take a look at that. that yes. that's, that's, that's absolutely the, the the plan. We've had one meeting with Lego about this already to really bring their attention to it. Yeah. Um, they're very interested in this work. They know we're doing this work, and we we do have we will be having regular meetings with them to share this research and the results with them. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Now continue on with your other story. Yeah. <laughs> now that that's awesome, but. Yeah, the most most recent example that we noticed that was on a one of the leading Lego blogs that uh, dedicated towards mocks, and they featured a, a mock or the most recent mock, uh, and I, you've probably seen it. I think it's been on Facebook and a lot of other places. The most re- uh, recent creation by J.K. Brickworks of the Prairie Dogs. Oh, uh, yep. And this particular article is highlighting that that mock, but only mentioned Jason's name and talked about Jason was the one who did this and Jason did this design, even though on Jason's own page and JK Brickwick's page, it's very clearly labeled, labeled a collaboration. Yeah. Um, in this particular article on the blog, they talked about how it was all Jason's model, um, Jason's creation linked to Jason's work and Jason's page. And then near the end said, 
oh, by the way, some credit needs to go to Crystal, who's his partner and helps with some of the design. Oh. That was largely our reaction. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I don't know Crystal, but I've definitely seen her builds and yeah. Wow. Like She's in the Lego house. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're Jason together and Crystal in the Lego are represented together. Yeah. And yeah. So, they're a team. Yeah. So I posted on this article saying, interesting that you didn't mention Crystal as being an equal participant. And then. Trolls. Guess what happened? The article got oh. changed. Oh, it got changed. Oh, I thought you were going to say like the trolls just went. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, the article got changed and they were oh, okay. receptive to that change. Yep. But that is what sort of now I think that is something that we need to do is call out that bias when it's really clear. If yep. JK Brickworks says it's a collaboration, then when you write that article up, it needs to also say it was a collaboration. Yeah. Right? You, if you're doing due diligence of your journalistic work, you can't change that uh, yeah. perspective. Yeah, that's it exactly. So the second example of this is that recently there was a set that had a press release from Lego, and it included uh, maybe a dozen pictures. And there were several websites that published an article about this set release. And in both articles, the majority of the photographs had names identifying who the designers were. There were yep. many designers involved. It was a whole theme, actually, not just a set. Um, many designers involved, and it named all of them except the female designer in the pictures. So imagine picture, caption, picture, yep. caption, and then picture of the one female designer that was involved. No caption, no name identifying it. Then oh, wow. more pictures, more captions. And oh. I've posted somewhere, I actually I think it was on the LAN, the Lego Ambassador Network, and I said, hmm, why is it that the female is the only one that doesn't have a name? Does anybody know who this designer is? Because it would be great if she yeah. were fairly and accurately represented. Somebody um, chimed in who knew the name of the designer. And then the next day, guess what? The articles were corrected and the designer's name was then included in the caption. So um, we may have to turn this into a hobby. Bias spotting is a, a thing. <laughs> but um, that's kind of what one of the things that we found a role that we can play in helping people to see bias when it happens and then saying, can you fix that please? Yeah. Yeah. Make people accountable. Um, yeah. Wow. That's like, I, I just, you know, it's like how you're saying it's like photo name caption. And then, you know, cause when it got down to the, I thought the female uh, builder was last and they're like, you know, ran out of space or whatever. But then you're like, no, no, there's still more after it. Oh, right. wow. But even running out of space, not... <laughs> but yeah. Oh. That's yeah. Well, good. You, so you we're know. hoping we're hoping people will start to realize this before they hit the publish button. <clears throat> yeah. And that people other than WBI will start to realize this is a, an issue and see that 
right? The more it becomes visible, the hopefully um, the the more um, sort of responsible they will be in preparing the article okay. to make sure that there's again it comes down to kind of due diligence, right? If yeah. there's a woman in the picture you're going to publish, put her name in just the same as all the guys. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh wow. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, uh, not even yeah. It's it um, really shouldn't be that hard, but no, it shouldn't. Maybe it is. Um, so, how as as a male uh, can you know can not I help? But do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I help. Um, you know what what can, what can what can we do to sort of make it an easier transition? That's probably a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, th I think actually um, inviting us to be on this podcast is a really great start. Uh, there, there's a lot of actually that's that's really how I got involved with WBI. As, as I mentioned, I've been talking to a lot of women builders at different cons yep. and a lot of experienced women. And I was getting to the point of, you know, we really need to have a group of women builders that advocates for women. And I was talking to somebody at actually it was Brick World Chicago. And they said, well, actually, you know, there's this group that started up and it's called WBI and Alice Finch is running it. So I ended up contacting Alice and that's how I ended up getting involved. Um, but it was really that word of mouth that I found out about it that way, because otherwise I would have started something entirely different. And yep. you know, that would have been a lot of work that, you know, I can now contribute to WBI. So getting out the word, I think, is really helpful and just being supportive and providing that space. Um, Okay. Sweet. And for us, part of it is also when you're at an event, maybe not this year, but next year. Um, <laughs> if we're lucky. Making, so, yeah, so if we're lucky. Again. Yes, making sure that those awkward people uh, who are new to conventions or new to the hobby have a point of contact. Um, I remember one of the first conventions I went to um, there was a, a dad and a teenage son who were speaking German. I didn't know them, but I was sort of auditorily attracted to the language difference. And I have German speakers in my household. And so I thought, oh, I'm just going to go find out what, what the story is on this. And I just, I was brand new. So I didn't know anybody. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I can connect to these German speakers. Turned out they were from Frankfurt. They'd never been to Seattle before. They were new. And they were sort of the first friends that I made. Um, but it was significant because they didn't know anybody. And that was a, uh, that made sort of the con be enjoyable because we could connect and sort of, you know, tell stories. And um, the next time we went to Germany, we actually went to their house and had lunch in their living room and they showed us their light like it was a connection and it was yeah. meaningful and it was it lasted for many years um i say lasted because the son went into his dark ages and went off to college and so lego wasn't quite <laughs> as important in their household anymore but it can make a really significant difference just to go and say hello to somebody yeah. um if it's a, a meet and greet where you're sort of mingling or just setting up at a table go and say hi to somebody and start having a conversation. Ooh, what is this? Nice parts usage there. Or how'd yep. you get 27 of those? I've only seen, you know, like whatever it is to <laughs> have a conversation about 
something that you can then sort of revisit, um, you know, the next time you see them. Yeah. Just be friendly. Yeah. Be friendly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not too friendly. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, would you like to tell me about some of the research that you're doing? Well, we've been doing, I mean, we've we've done the the CMFs or are doing the CMFs. They're doing, they're taking a look at the the minifigure heads. Um, We're actually sharing some of our our results at, we're participating in Bricks by the Bay, which is a virtual convention this year. So if anybody's listening, wants to sign up and join us, we're we're doing a a workshop and a presentation at Bricks by the Bay. And we'll be sharing some of the results. Um, Our interns have also uh, pulled together a, uh, female minifigure timeline so you can see how lego female minifigures have evolved over the years and it's fascinating to see the picture of the first female minifig which is it's like a triangle with a I head very odd because it's one of the ones that had the bangs printed on the head so it's like this partial hair and <laughs> It, it's it's very different, I guess. I'll just say compared to what we used to a female minifig head looking like now, but yep. the, the timeline looks fantastic. Um, as Alice said, we're going to take a look at representation of women across themes. Uh, we'll take yep. a look at media. We're going to pull we'll pull together a uh, top ten list of sets or themes that advocate for um, equality and diversity every year, so we can watch for that at the end of the year. And um, there's also going to be a development of a WBI equity test. Which oh, we're okay. On is, so we're, there's a lot of different things going on on different fronts that we're really excited about. So the WBI equity test is based somewhat on the Bechtel test. I don't know yeah. if that you're familiar with that, but yep. it's basically ranking the, the weight of the female roles in films mostly yeah. and there are sort of several addendums that have been developed after that but we have um some tests uh, some questions basically that um can be answered about a minifig or a set or a theme in terms of how respectful and accurate um it is in terms of representing women yeah so for example if you look at the history of female pirates the early one, I think there are four now. Um, the earliest pirate is probably not the most respectful way to represent a female fig. And yeah. yet the most recent one uh, released this year is quite different in the way it represents femininity in the printed torso. And to be able to say on a scale, nice job, Lego, or definitely some room for improvement. Yeah. Um, and so formalizing that, testing it, making sure that it answers all the necessary questions about bias and respect often um, as a part of it. Um, and then being able to then rank the, the new products as they're coming out. And also uh, websites and blogs and journals, right? If yep. you take the history of a, a blog and they've only ever interviewed three women, maybe not so high on the WBI test. But if you yeah. have um, female reporters or journalists and you have a significant presence, right? There's, there's ways that you can um, uh, make sure you're, you're, uh, you have some equity or you have some representation. 
I'm terrible at tests. No. <laughs> no, but that's good. And, and um, you know, and as you said, like Lego would be definitely be receptive to, you know, all the information that, you, you know, you're collecting and so forth. So, yeah, awesome. Um, just to find a little bit more about yourselves, um, what got you? Uh, what got you back out of your dark ages into, or did you go through a dark age? Like you know, what got you back into Lego? Um, it was, it was actually kind of came back from my dark ages in waves. Um, yep. I, w- I went into one, and I didn't have much Lego as a kid, mostly because uh, I was raised by my grandparents, and they they bought the line that oh, Lego wasn't a girl's toy. So yep. I had only had a single set when I was a kid, and that was only on after friends lobbied them, the, the, showing that I needed something to express some level of creativity. But there was um, there were two instances. One was I was doing some shopping at Christmas, and I found um, I was doing some shopping for uh, one of the the charity families we'd we'd adopted a family um, yep. for Christmas, and I was at the checkout counter and I remember seeing, and I still have it, a little Santa Claus set. Um, and he had his, his bag of toys and he's about to pop down a chimney. Yep. And it was like, oh, I didn't know that they, like, they, they still made Lego in little sets like that. So I actually bought that with the idea of giving it to one of the kids yep. um, for our charity. And as I mentioned, I still have it. So <laughs> clearly that set didn't make it um, in the charity giving that year. So that actually started me on collecting the little seasonal builds. Um, so I've been collecting those for over 20 years now. So I have I have a lot of those that I figured that was okay for an adult to have because I'd have it for my desk or yeah. something to keep in my office. It's for Christmas. Um, <laughs> yes. And then about um, 12, 13 years ago, uh, I was doing some Christmas shopping again. It must be that time of year. And I was looking for Christmas decorations and I remembered the seasonal Lego and there was a Lego store in that mall. And I thought, oh, well, let's go in just to see if there's something new. And as luck would have it, the winter holiday train was on sale for 50% off because Lego was changing its train formats. Uh, and yep. like, oh, look, it's on sale. It was 50% off. So I bought the train and along with all of the accoutrements that went with that with the track and the the motor and the controller and everything else yeah and that that was the first really big set that i bought and that's pretty much started the the ball rolling and it went from there the downhill slide exactly (laughs) my son he found my christmas train and he just is like train 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 (laughs) i'm like well go for it son that's it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yourself, Alice? Um, I started building again when my older son was starting to build. Um, and he was very interested in, um, in town and train and all of that kind of thing. And I have a sort of penchant for architecture. And so we started building together. And as I was sort of remembering how the brick works as an adult, I started thinking, well, I want to build too. You know, I do an awful lot of cleaning and sorting. I want to build. And so um, he was um, just four or five years old. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to build. And my the first mock that I ended up making was Hogwarts, which <laughs> is not... <laughs> 
is not your typical first mock, um, mm. but really that was the first one that I built all by myself, and it was inspired by the Lego sets, um, which were sort of half sides. You know how Lego does. They'll build sort of an exterior, and then the yeah. backside, it's all open. And I really wanted it to be more of an architectural experience, um, complete buildings with roofs on both sides and, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's what got me thinking. And um, it, it was uh, uh, not the first experience that I was thinking it would be. I started with the Great Hall, and then it kind of accidentally got out of control after that. I was to say um, you didn't go by halves. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the original intent was to provide um, uh, a castle, Hogwarts, for my kids to play with. And... Um, and it, it got a little bit too big to leave up all the time. But that was what, what inspired me was the ability to play, what we call having adventures. So all of the exteriors there, but all the interior is there as well. That's accessible through doors or, you know, you move a chunk of rock and you can get to the Chamber of Secrets and all that kind of stuff. I was about um, to say, did you let them play with it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, no, for no, example... No, they participated in it quite a lot. Um, so, for example, um, Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, there is actually a tube that goes from the sinks down into the chamber. And so you can chuck minifigs through it and they'll end up in the, the right place. Oh. And so my younger son, who was quite young at the time, um, that was his favorite thing because he could just throw minifigs down that tube all day. Um, but, yeah, I've always let my, my kids play as I'm building, um, I build in a room where they are collaborators. They each have their own desk and we build together. And um, so I've never sort of been, you know, hands off. This is mine. You go yeah. play with your stuff. It's always been sort of a, this is in it for everybody. And um, the next model I build was Rivendell. And um, my younger son at the time, uh, he built a train track right through the middle of Rivendell as I was working on it. And so, that's how the elves came to work. They came on the train and they got off at the stop and there was a, literally a water cooler there and they had mugs and lined up. And like, that was his participation in the model as I was doing, you know, the, the elevation changes and landscaping. And there's no yep. reason why it couldn't have a train going through the middle of it. Yeah. So it did. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cause um, that is, yeah. That, they are both massive, and for your for your first sort of mocks, I I still can't even think to build on that scale. Like, did you do a lot of planning for that? Like, was there a lot of, or was it just like, just... no? I had no idea when I started Hogwarts that it was a going to really be the whole castle, or that it would end up being that big. Um, the first version of the the Great Hall that I built was actually bigger than it ended up being. Um, because once I looked at it, I thought, actually, this is, this is just slightly bigger than it needs to be. And so I rebuilt it smaller. It still has four tables and it still has all that, but it, I knew if I was going to build anything else, it would just be way too huge based yep. on that. So I rebuilt it as small as I could. Um, and then it, I, I do remember pausing and thinking, wow, if I build the whole thing, this is going to be enormous. Oh, well, here we go. And then, you know, then that, then there was the rocks and Slytherin common room and then the, the stairway tower. Like, that was sort of the, okay, if it, if it happens, it happens. Here we go. 
<laughs> and you could have probably bought a castle. For that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I still don't uh, know or want to know the uh, eventual cost of that, but... It, it still exists. Hogwarts still exists. It's in nice. storage in boxes and everything. So, <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah. My wife is like, you couldn't find a cheaper hobby. It's like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you, you also write books as well. Yes. Um, I've written, I think it's six books with DK now. Then the newest one is coming out soon. It's a Halloween themed book. Yep. And um, that one, actually, both of my kids built models for that as well. So um, DK doesn't quite know what to do with that. But they are uh, they did contribute models to it, which is quite fun. Yep. Um, and then I also have my own book, which is the Lego Architecture Idea book, which is like a, like a thesaurus is to a writer. This is yep. to anybody who wants to do something architecture-related, just giving you ideas so that you can apply it and you know, modify it as needed to your own project. Yeah, I saw that while researching both of you, and that is definitely on my list of books to buy. <laughs> yeah. And um, let's say, uh, Megan, you, you're uh, the North American correspondent for Brickset. Um, yes. So what is Brickset? Like, you know, let, let, for people that don't know. Like, uh, Brickset is Brickset.com. Yep. which is the most popular uh, web or Lego website um, on the internet that is not directly run by Lego or owned by Lego itself. Oh, okay. Um, Br Bricklink had that title, but since Lego bought Bricklink, um, <laughs> they're now by, run by Lego. So Brickset is the, um, on page views, traffic views, and member views, the most popular website um, oh, okay. around Lego. So you can go there for Lego news, there's reviews, um, all things Lego. And, it's and a fabulous place to keep inventory of your sets or minifigs. So if you log, if you create an account, you can keep track of what you own, um, what you want, um, and it's a really great place to sort of um, catalog what's in your collection. Oh, so if you, the yeah, the star of the show at Brickset is definitely the database. Yeah. Um, Hugh, the, the founder and owner of Brickset has created, and there's every set that Lego's made um, with instructions, pieces, parts, and you can also, as Alice was saying, gener uh, keep track of your own inventory so you can see how many sets that you own, how many minifigs that you own, what they're worth. Um, ah. Track of the the sets that you would like, the the sets that you want, and how much they cost. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and there's and, a lot of other ways that you can query the data and slice and dice it as well. Um, there's a lot of functionality, but it's a pretty much a one of a kind resource for Lego parts and pieces. So yeah. when when you say it tells you what it's worth, <laughs> the yeah. does it tell you how much you've yeah. spent. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so it can tell you the number of sets. The number of parts, um, what minifigs, um, and there's a place where you can keep notes. So, for example, if I've parted out a set, so I own the set, but it's not in set form, I can put in the note parted out or, um, you know, minus minifigs or anything that, that isn't is there. sort of particular to that. Yeah. Oh, it's, okay. it's actually kind of an... Uh, 
not just a neat tool, but a really sort of important tool for insurance reasons. If you have a collection that you want to know what you have, because when you, you know, if your house burns down, oh, I, I had a huge Lego collection, really, I did. This is a way <laughs> that you can actually document what you have. Yeah. Um, as and a, yeah, and what it's worth, right? Actually, okay, I better start up a, um, an account. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife, Kim, she's always like, You've spent thousands on Lego. And I'm like, no, no, it can't be. can't be that. Br Brickset will tell you. If you put Not an inventory, Brickset will reveal the truth. And there are actually stats you can go in there and you can see how large your collection is compared to all the other Brickset members. Oh, okay. oh, really? I didn't know that. I'm not oh, sure yes. I want to look at that. I, yeah. I, I have used, I've used that to great advantage to show that really my collection is nowhere near as large as my husband <laughs> seems to think it is, especially compared to other people. Yeah, <laughs> oh, could be. Goodness. It could be worse. I could, it be, could be exactly. I a garage it could full. be much, much worse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, so you do reviews and so forth. What sort of do you review sets that you want to review, or is it they uh, they go, hey, we need a review for this set? Like, do you like how do you go about your review process? Um, a little bit of both. If there are some sets that intrigue me, I'll I'll go get them. Um, and I've been writing for Brickset long enough now that uh, Lego will send uh, Brickset sets. Um, so, for instance, I have I've just received all the sets for the second wave of the Friends um, yep. theme for 2020. So I'm working my way through those and doing oh, that. Wow. But like I said, if there's a set that that intrigues me, I'll, I'll pick it up and see what see what it's like. Give it a go. Oh, that'd be awesome. Kidding. <laughs> Thank you, Lego. No. <laughs> 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 I'm not a review. My wife's like, you're not a review thing, so you'll never get annoyed. No, I'll never get. <laughs> so, last but not least, uh, let's start with uh, you, Megan. Uh, what's your? F do you have like a fondest memory of Lego? Like, you know, what's sort of your your fondest memory? It could be oh, any. My favorite, my favorite <laughs> memory of Lego. Um. Yeah, actually, it's a, it's a pretty recent one, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's from, from actually this past December, where um, as those folks in the U.S. and those who watched it abroad know, uh, the first season of Lego Masters was yes. broadcast earlier this year. But in December, I got a quick note from Hugh at Brickset saying, hey, do you, do you fancy a day trip down to Los Angeles? And because we've been invited to the Lego Masters set. Oh, okay. So, uh, and since this was pre-pandemic, it was easy enough to get on a plane and go down to Los Angeles. And I got to spend the day um, on the Lego Masters set. Um, I got to meet Will Arnett and interview him for, for yep. Brickset. Um, I got to meet Brick Masters Amy and Jamie and interview them. And then in the afternoon, we went to go visit Nathan Sawaya, the uh, Lego artist who was creating a lot of the set pieces for the Lego Master set. Yeah. And I just remember being in, on the Lego set, the Lego Master set with all the lights, and it's a really impressive set with the, the Lego blocks hanging from the ceiling and the, the dramatic like lighting and the, the, the minifig wall that had 5,000 minifigs. And I just remember thinking, wow, um, 
my hobby can can sure take me to some really cool places. I can meet some really fantastic people yep. and do things that I, I hadn't even thought about when I first bought that winter holiday train set um, many years ago. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And um, yeah, because we didn't get to see the American Lego Masters because, you know, it doesn't show over here. Um, but yeah, we've had it going for two, and it, yeah, it's a, yeah. Be you pretty, guys are, have you finished your second season or are you in the middle? Yeah. Second season. They're auditioning okay. for third season now. Wow. Um, wow. so yeah, no, love it over here. Yeah. Um, but w- was it a good season for you? Like, did you yeah. watch, do you both watch it? Yep. Oh yes. Yeah. It was a great season. And actually, again, because of the partnership that we've had with, the. Uh, uh, Lego, as well as the producers of the Lego Masters, I was able to interview all of the contestants as they were voted off each yep. week, as well as spend time with the champions after they they won. So it was uh, quite a remarkable experience to be able to to chat with all of those folks. Yeah. Sweet. And yourself, Alice? Um, I'm going to go way back. Yeah. Um, to 1990. Two. Let's <laughs> get in that DeLorean. Yep. Yeah. 1992. Um, I just started dating the person who would eventually be my husband. We just had our 24th anniversary. And um, the very first gift that he ever gave me was a Lego set. And <laughs> we had no idea that this would be significant in any way, but he certainly played with Lego as a kid. And uh, he gave me a little little set with a knight and there's a ghost and a little castle and that was the first present he ever gave me and i still have it and in the box and it's just been a a sort of a sweet little starting point for that all because we had no idea that this was going to be the thing that i do um (laughs) and so we like thinking about oh all those years ago look where you know all started, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does he do Lego as well? He does. He's a builder. He's just not uh, quite as intense as the rest of us in the family. <laughs> so he certainly can build. Um, um, he's built a couple things and taken them to conventions and stuff. Um, but he doesn't have his own desk space like <laughs> the other three of us. So. <laughs> And whenever, like, you know, he complains about all the Lego everywhere, you're like, your fault. (laughs) (laughs) You started it. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Oh, gosh. Last but not least, how can people find the Women's Brick Initiative? You can find us on our website, womensbrickinitiative.com. Or you can look for us on Facebook also at the Women's Brick Initiative. We also have a private Facebook group for our members where we exchange pictures of mocks. Look for us at Women's Brick Initiative members. You'll have to answer a couple questions to get in, but we do accept just about everybody. And we're also on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube under The Women's Brick. Well, that that was awesome. Um, Thank you very much for taking time out of your Sunday to uh, have a chat about all things Lego. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. This has been fun. Yeah, it's been great. And if we ever make it to Australia. Come to Melbourne. 
Yes, absolutely, yeah. I'll cook you a barbecue. <laughs> well, unless you're vegetarian, then I can figure something no. else out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to For the Love of Brick. We have plenty of great interviews coming up, so if you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. And don't forget to tell your friends. If you want to drop me a line or see what I'm up to, follow me on Facebook, Insta, and Twitter. Happy building, and remember, it's all for the love of brick.